Let me preface my remarks this morning by my gratitude for the opportunity to share the gospel here in my own home church, especially which I think it will probably be my last time of preaching. If you ever have a hard time to quit, this is devastating when you say you won't study, research, and send it out and tell people about it that you think it's worth hearing. This morning, our message is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. It's a short text, one of the shorter ones. There are many things that I could have selected to do, but this text has challenged me. So I'll tell you at the outset, there are going to be things said in this text and by me that are extremely challenging and conflicting. After the message, I think I will finish early, despite the blessedness of the statements of Joel. And I'd like you to talk, if you're going home at the summative, what does some of this stuff mean? It is one of the most powerful experiences or events in the life of Jesus that we've come across. Let's read it. Let me read it very quickly. The text reads this way. Leaving that place, and we don't know what that place is, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is into the north of Palestine. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came out to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer her a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the bread, to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord. That little word, yes, it is, is not in the original text, but I'll mention that. She just says, yes, we'll have to answer that. That's why you have questions. Why in the world is going on here? Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. Fascinating story and interaction with Jesus. I gave you, or the church provided, in your bulletin, if you want to follow, you do not, an outline of the bulletin. You may follow that if you wish, or if you wish, you can just listen to me. Probably watching and reading is a little better. Let me make a couple observations to set a context on this. First thing I sense in this particular text is the experience of being pressed up to faith. There are times in my life and in your life as a believer where suddenly things seem to go wrong. Things are not right experience of being what I'm going to call pressed up to faith, and if you're not a believer, it's kind of pressed up to consternation. Consternation is the kind of idea that you don't want to go this way, that way, you can't go up. Where shall I go? What shall I do? I'm frustrated. But for the Christian, it's pressed up to faith. Being pressed up to faith is the experience where reason has been exhausted and reason has been silenced. It seems not to help me at all any longer. It also, wisdom has now failed me. It talks about pressed up to faith. Not only has wisdom fled, but also my emotions have become raw 
and sometimes they erupt in places I wish they wouldn't erupt. I'm just upset. <laughs> That's being pressed up to faith. Hope becomes diminished into despair. We learn most of what we deep things about God, not on the mountaintops, you've heard this, but down deep in the valleys. That needs some explanation because it's not immediately clear. And so I want to come to this woman. Second thing by way of an introduction, not just pressed up to fate, but the significance of this biblical story. Two thoughts. The major, one of the major, of course, Jesus is there, but the one major player in this story is not a believer. Secondly, she's one of two people in all of the New Testament that Jesus commends them for their faith. The other was a centurion whose slave servant was very, very ill, and Jesus commended him for his faith. No disciple, none of the apostles, but these two people. That grabs my attention. What is there so significant about this woman that not only I have to learn if I can, but what's going on here in her dialogue with Jesus? That brings me to the final introduction. Let me tell you what is the thesis or the ultimate purpose of my sermon. And that's this. Prayer must first and foremost be directed to who God is. Please keep saying This will come up again. Prayer is first and foremost directed to who God is with the confidence that he cannot deny himself, nor will he deny his promises. That's going to come at the end of this story. So let's look at the story briefly. I'm going to tell the story in three chapters. Now, this is my way of seeing the story. You may see it differently. I've learned in the last several years that many, many of the younger people <laughs> don't want to hear what I say. They would like to interact with me on thoughts. So f- please feel free to do this. So the first chapter I'm going to call this story, the cultural context she exposes. She's a... <laughs> just left me from... She's a Canadian. Oh, I knew I'd say that. Canaanite. Thank you. I did a lot of research. I went over my mind, Canaanite, Canaanite, Canaanite. And I knew I'm going to get up there and say, Canadian. (laughs) I did a lot of research on it. Almost too much. But she is a Canaanite. And this is an important aspect. There are two elements that bring out the context. One is outward uncertainty, and secondly, personal uncertainty. Outward uncertainty is that by language, culture, and religion, she doesn't belong to the group she's coming to. She is, in words, an outsider. She doesn't naturally belong. Now, language, if any of you are scholars, might challenge me. But I think I'm right here, but up until the time of the Tower of Babel, all languages were the same, so I'd have to go back and recheck. Because the Canaanites went to all different places. But they are an outsider. The second personal uncertainty that she faces in coming is that she might be greatly disappointed. She only knows Jesus by hearsay. As best we know, she did not meet Jesus and talk to him at any time. So she may be disappointed, and also 
She's very uncertain. When she goes back home, she knows her family and her neighbors are going to say, I told you you shouldn't have gone to that Jewish guy. So she's going to not know what's going to happen. So when I think of her facing those two things, wow, she still comes. And this excites me about this story. In fact, all of us at some time when we come to Jesus, we come something like this. I don't know. I hear people in my church talk about Jesus and joy and all of this, but I don't know. I haven't been there. And I'm not sure I want to go. This is the situation of this woman. The second chapter of her life is the challenge she embraces. She's only there a short time. She gets there after making all of this determination to go. And she comes to Jesus, and now she faces three challenges. The text says, if you look at it up there, the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. And if you're anything of a New Testament scholar, the word Lord here is really the Greeks translated Yahweh because they didn't know how to do it, and Lord was a little better way for them to say it. So she knew that. Lord, or it may have just been a common way of addressing someone superior. Lord, she says, help me. And then what happens to her after this journey? He answered her, not a word. When I read that, that's not like Jesus. Jesus, as far as I know in the New Testament, never responded to anyone in that sort of way. So there must be some deeper meaning in Jesus' statement. Now you can investigate how you might want to take that phrase. And he, Jesus answered her not a word. I will suggest to you that this moment of silence is not an indifference with God. There is no indifference with God of Jesus. The hour of silence on the cross, where the night was silent on Golgotha, God changed the world. So silence is not just because God, we could argue too, it seems to me, that maybe the disciples are upset because she keeps going, Lord, send her away. We're tired of listening to her. We're tired of hearing all of the people with neediness. That doesn't seem to me to be a logical answer. So what might be the answer for Jesus? It seems to me a better way to do it is that Jesus is pressing her to think about why in the world did you come? Why did you come all this way to see me? It might be we can illustrate it like someone who has a bad back and they just can't get along without it and someone finally says, I know the best doctor in the world for you. Go to him. Jesus might be saying something like that. Are you just looking for someone to help you out? And now I come to my own opinion. Just mine. You can critique it when you're on your way home and say, boy, Pastor Don, I'm not sure. I take it to be, uh, he's making a distinction between gift giving and the gift giver. Are you coming me only to get the gifts or are you confronting me? This happens to us all the time. That's why we get so upset with God. He didn't answer right away. And I want this gift. He promised in James somewhere, this is what you do. Now you're not doing it. He may be pressing, in my opinion, the woman to look at who she's talking to. Do you know who you're speaking to? And he's going to press her further, whether she's really coming to Jesus or not. The second 
course, is, is the test, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, that's a historical illusion. And of course, it's very true. Jesus chose the people from Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, God called Abraham that he might be a great blessing and a great nation, and that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's what I've come for. So we can say that Jesus' meaning here could very easily mean that that's what God's doing. He's doing his task. It might be very important. They have up on here, probably we take it later, it's coming early, but that's all right. Abraham is the one who has his family. And through that family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Have you ever thought that the Jewish people did not have an evangelistic component? All right, folks, we're going to get together. We're going to send out brochures and all kinds of things. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to have an evangelistic service. Israel did not do that. They served God as his people by the way they lived and how they followed God's instruction. That's where in the Old Testament, over 80 times, Canaan is mentioned. The Canaanites are, God didn't seem to like them very much. And that's because of their religious practices. And so they are there. So he's here to serve the people of God to serve any people that he can. So the ministry is there. The elect people of God, well, let me turn to this for a moment. The call of Abraham and the premises for mission. You have the first one. God calls and blesses the people, Abraham and implicitly Israel, in their particularity, but always with a view to the nations of the world which is the object of God's gracious and redemptive concerns. That's why you exist, Israel. You exist to show people who I am by what I've done and what I do. That's what your calling is. Secondly, the election of Abraham and Israel is a matter of divine grace, and that has its goal in the recognition of God by all the nations of the world since only God can deliver from the tragedy of sin. That's where Israel is. I've been called to do that. Thirdly, the calling or election of Abraham and Israel is a calling to service as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's their job, to so live as a community of people. How you treat the stranger, how you treat widows and Orphans and how you do all of these things and how you serve me alone. Israel got into trouble from syncretism with, with the Canaanites. They kind of started liking it. Or other people. We want gods. Remember when Moses went over the mountain and they had the golden calf? We want gods like everybody else. Getting impacted by their cultural system that's around them. And let me make one other comment here. It is not election of Israel through, it is not service through election, but rather election because of service. God chooses you to serve him, and therefore you become God's special children. He didn't look around and say, no, I'll choose you guys. Okay, that's not what he did. And so she came and 
faced Jesus, who spoke to her not a word. And then we have the last difficult time. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. As Western readers, <laughs> we wonder how could Jesus say that? Two answers could be, maybe she is speaking in Aramaic, which would have been a dominant term in that time. And their word for dog is different than what we think about dog. And it's true also in the Greek text. The word dog is a diminutive form. It doesn't mean the wild dog and vicious dog or use it in a disparaging sense. It is the dog that runs around your table at home, like your pet. So he's not really trying to contradict her. But this is an important point in the whole story that we come. So when he comes to this, he brings her face to face with the conflict. But now here's the real heart of the story. So she had a cultural exposure, challenges that she had to endure, and finally a remarkable conclusion she experiences. The conclusion of the story, and she said, and yes, it is, she, Lord, she said, or literally in the Greek text, yes, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. As Jesus pressed her, she hung in there. She knew Jesus was different than the silence or even the weariness of the disciples who said, I'm tired of listening to her. We get tired of listening to people in trouble. And we don't reach out to them. I've heard them enough of them. But she didn't. And so she came. Two things. One is in a, a principle of admission and second principle about the request. She says, yes, Lord. I'm terminating it. You can take yes, it is, and refer back. But I think she's saying, yes, Lord, you're right about me. I am a foreigner. I am a stranger. I have no right. I am not a follower of Jesus. So you're right about me. But, this is crucial. I throw with this thought. But, says this woman, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. What did she mean? I take it this way. You may see it differently. I think she's saying to him, if you are the one I think you are, if you are the son of God, the Yahweh, I mean the Messiah, which everybody else talks for, if that's true, and I'm counting on it as true, then you cannot deny me. And Jesus, I like to think Jesus smiled from ear to ear. I've never met anybody like this before. She saw who Jesus was and counted on who he is. And Jesus then responds to her. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that hour moment. When I was going through reflecting and meditating, I thought, I wonder if her daughter was with her. If you read Mark's account, Mark says she went home and found her daughter laying whole and healthy on her bed. I wonder as she went home, I wonder what'll happen. <laughs> you know, he says she healed, but what's really gonna happen as she trudged home? Got home and her family was just thrilled that her daughter was well, maybe that happened? I don't know. 
But she met Jesus, as some of our songs said. To meet Jesus is a remarkable experience. And she met Jesus. The thing you have to think about, and I think about, is this woman would not, in Christian sense, a, a, a churchgoer. She didn't go to Bible school. She didn't go any other place. And God commended her, and he loved her. There are people out there that we might excuse, oh, well, they're not Baptists. Well, that's all right, but if they were not Lutheran, then we're in trouble. She wasn't Lutheran. God loves people often that we do not recognize or look at. Be careful as Christians. God loves them. Even if they're not doing all the right things. When I first went to China as a missionary, I learned an interesting lesson. A young man who just became Christian came to church that Sunday morning. But the Chinese pastors had learned that, you know, you have to wear ties. And in those days, always white shirts. They changed later to blue shirts. And this young man came in, and he looked like he had just come from work. People would glance at him. Easy to let's set somebody aside. It's getting even harder in my own theological opinion as a theologian that we are more and more condensing the religious experience into a religious model. If you want to make it somewhere, you've got to make it this bit, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. If you don't do it, sorry, you don't belong. I learned that from this story. Here's a person who came at great expense for herself personally. And I'd like to think when she got home, she just sat there and rejoiced. When I was meditating on this, I picked up a hymn that I like very much. The sign quite easily concludes what I'd like to say. It's called My Tribute, and it's called Other Things, but it's, it's a hymn that has been a favorite of mine for a long time. I'm not a singer, so I'll read it. <laughs> how, how can I say thanks to you for all the things that you have done? The things so undeserved, yet you have gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe right to you. If she'd have known that, I think she would have sung it. And the chorus ends, to God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for the things that he has done. We have to open up to the gospel again as a dynamic message that comes through our life and experience with Jesus that we share with others, regardless of where we find them. I'm very fortunate. I'm I don't so much anymore, but I used to swim all the time. I was a competitive swimmer. I met lots of people. They didn't want to hear it. When I was finishing my last book, they wanted me to, they didn't understand the, the terminology, so I don't do that anymore. <laughs> just talk to them and tell them about the Lord. I don't know how many people, just because we come, they ask, what do you do? Oh, I'm a professor. Oh, what do you teach? I teach theology. They don't, some of them don't know what theology is, so I have to then explain what theology is. But we need to get back to the dynamic of the gospel. And I think our congregation does that quite well in our friendship and caring for one another. 
Here's a woman that gives a great example to me. Therefore, my thesis, prayer is first and foremost offered or extended to who God is with the confidence that God cannot deny himself, nor will he deny the promises that he's made for us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the strength that you give as I preach today. I thank you for the grace that you've given to me over the years. One of the least of your servants, I think, and yet you have blessed. I ask that you continue to bless this church, continue to be with Pastor Paul as he'll be returning. Give him anticipation, give him thought, things that he might want to do from experiences that he's had. So Lord, dismiss us with our blessing, your blessing. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray, amen. I want to give you an assignment. I don't often do this. As you go home, if you think about this story and interact about it, what does it mean to you? What did it mean when Jesus was silent? I gave you mine. <laughs> you don't have to accept that. <laughs> Ask, what did it mean when, Je when Jesus said, I'm only sent for the household of Israel to, to save them, to get them back where they belong, to repent? But he was more than that. He was there to be the Messiah who comes, the Lord, in the future to make all things right again. Talk about it. That's what we do when we do Bible study. <laughs> we talk about it. Well, I don't know if Pastor Alexander had that right. I think it goes this way. It'll give you a good chance to go over the story again. I mean, I'm not going to look you up to see like students, you, then you have to turn in a paper, then I could ask you. <laughs> but just for your, I what did I like about this story? What did I didn't understand about this story? It'll give you something to think about as you go home and eat your dinner or whatever. Thank you so much. You are dismissed. <laughs>